message. Um, sort of like, you know, here's a $2,000 uh, Nordic track. Um, <laughs> nudge, nudge, maybe you should, maybe you should use it. Um, I remember we, I got a member of my family years ago. I, got, I bought him an ab roller. Remember one of those? Where you would crunch the thigh master. Remember that from the 80s? That was an awkward thing. Um, a few years ago, a cousin of mine bought me a nose hair trimmer. And someone gave me a thumbs up. Okay, was it you? Is that, is that my cousin? No. <laughs> and I got it. I'm tall. You probably, it's the only thing you see. It's up my nose, okay. Um, and I want to thank him, because that's a wonderful gift, actually. <laughs> it's a nice thing, the, uh, the uh, trimmer. You know, sometimes truth, uh, truth can be uncomfortable, we things we don't really want to hear, um, but it can be helpful when we hear the truth. It can show us things that maybe we didn't see before. And... Um, When we talk about lies we believe, I'll be operating out of a few theological and philosophical assumptions on my own, my own proclivities, that one is that all truth is God's truth. So I will not be operating out of a place of truth is subjective or uh, under the dictates of culture or uh, determined by anybody other than God and God's word. So I'm going to make that clear. So I'm going to be operating out of that. I just want us to have a mutual understanding And secondly, there's a book we're sort of loosely following. It's a Christian book called Lies We Believe. And there's a a couple dozen copies out in the Bridge Cafe that you can purchase if you'd like. They're $15, and uh, we'll be loosely looking at some of those things. It's really good. He's got a bunch of uh, little subsections of Lies We Believe. He's a Christian counselor and and psychologist, so he has a lot of counseling language in it too, like that. And so it is important to talk about truth because... Uh, men and women, you and I cannot grow in personal holiness or righteousness without looking at truth and letting truth wash over us and change us, um, and therefore also how God's word counteracts lies. It's just a natural thing. It's just like light and darkness. And so in the coming weeks, we will look at lies we believe about ourselves, about God. Um, but in every field of study, there is a search for truth. And no matter what it is, we're always looking to find the truth. We've learned as children that fire is hot, cold ice is cold, that Carolina and Duke fans may not always get along. <laughs> Jesus said in John 8 that the truth, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what is actually truth? Like Pontius Pilate famously said under the, during the trial of Jesus. Sir Isaac Newton, one of the foremost scientists and minds of our, of, in history, um, he said this, I do not know what I appear to be to the world, but to myself, I seem to have only been like a boy playing on the seashore, now and then finding a smoother pebble or prettier shell, while the great ocean of truth lay all undiscovered before me. That even he, the one of the foremost minds, would acknowledge that truth is simply discovered, that men and women, we don't create truth, we discover it as God has created it. So we're in a quest for truth. We're looking for answers. Wise people ask that question, what is truth and how can I know it? Now I have something to do with my hands, so that's nice. So we're in a search for truth. I remember many years ago, remember these billboards that were around in the country and they were like black backgrounds with white letters and there was like, it was written from God to you. Remember these? It's like 20 years ago. 
And it would say things like, hey, come to my house before the game on Sunday. God. Remember those? Kind of cheesy. But it was cool in that it kind of made people think about God that maybe never would, you know? And I was riding in a car one day around Asheville with a friend, and I said, you know what? I wonder what people think about those. I wonder if people actually pay attention to those. And my friend was like, you know what? I don't think some people even care. And she was probably right that some people really don't care. But I would say, if you have that attitude, do it at your own peril, because the Bible makes it clear that truth is knowable. That truth is knowable. It's not some esoteric thing, but the truth of God is for you and for me. For example, in the Old Testament, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. In the New Testament, Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. Jesus says, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth many times is the thing that you and I don't want to hear, but we need to hear. Many times we can know the truth, but you might not want to hear it. Like I had a friend many years ago that was diagnosed with cancer, unfortunately, and he was angry and bitter at the doctor. And just because though you didn't, it's what you didn't want to hear, it doesn't make it not in fact true. It isn't until you hear the diagnosis until you can actually work toward the cure. So Jesus made this astounding claim in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now in English, we have this thing called italics, and we put that on our words that we stress, right? Well, in Greek, they would do a type of thing where they would, uh, in Greek, they'd write ego, me, ego, ego, I. By me is the operative verb, me, And it's, it's like the verb to be. Whenever you see, you see ego, me, it was always stressing it was always stressing that phrase. So every time you see an I am statement from Jesus, it should be in italics, because he's always saying, I am the way, etc. Or etc. And so he's making this astounding claim that he is the embodiment of all truth, that he is the only source of truth in the universe. You can always trust his words. So as we start a new year, it's a good place to talk about freedom and truth and the lies that are dispelled by truth. So in John 8, you can, you can go, go ahead and put it up, John 8, 31. Let's read this together, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. So he's speaking to Jews. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So is he talking about a type of truth that you can look up on Google or Wikipedia? Is he talking about a certain philosophy or a way of life? What sort of truth is he talking about? Is it just a belief system? Just another choice on the buffet line of America, of options? Or is he saying what is clear what he's saying is that the truth is Jesus. That he is the truth. His whole being is truth. He's saying, you shall know me, the Son, as he refers, and the Son will make you free. I am the truth. I will lead you in truth. So his unequivocal statements such as these very, makes it very clear that it's, you have to face reality as it is. He's making such a, um, I want to say, uncompromising statement. That's really what truth does, is that it, 
I'm, I'm sorry, five, but two plus two is four. You know, it's like, ultimately, truth is truth. He's saying this is, as, this is, this is what reality is. Jesus is God. And uh, his repeated statements are clear and, and, and emphatic. He is the embodiment of all truth. And then he says this astounding thing. The truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. That's a really good question to ask is what does that mean? How in the world could a man who lived 2,000 years ago who says he is the truth, how could that make me free today? What does that even mean? Well, the people in the story had the same question, didn't they? They looked at Jesus and said, what do you mean you can make us free? We're not, we're not slaves to anybody. We're descendants of Abraham. We're good. We're in the, we're in the lineage, man. We're, we're, not, we don't, we're not slaves. They're thinking purely in humanistic, earthly, terrestrial terms. And Jesus says, actually, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. He, they're talking, they don't want to talk about the physical, he's talking about the spiritual. He's saying, actually, you're not free. You think you are, but you're not. You're, you're under the slavery of sin and death. And apart from me, you can't be free. So you need me to set you free. He's equating freedom that only he can offer. And this is one of the most horrible lies that people believe, whether you're a churchgoer or not, is that a lot of people believe that you can never be free from sin. You believe that you can never, like that temptation that hounds you will always be there. That God could, could never provide a trap door out of it. That you think it's just impossible. That, that you, you, some people believe that you can't be saved to the uttermost. That Jesus could never change my life. People believe the lie that I can never be made new from the inside out. This is maybe the most grievous and nefarious of all lies of the enemy. The enemy of our souls. Who, by the way, is the author of all lies that Jesus said? That, that the Satan is the father of lies. He's been a murderer from the beginning. And he continually hurls accusations against us day after day after day. And I've said this before. But every time you hear an accusation against you, you're not good enough, you're not going to make it, you're past, you failed, you're a failure, you're stupid, you're ugly. You know what I'm talking about? We hear these things all the time. God didn't say that, Right? You didn't generate that. The enemy of your souls wants to hold you down, oppress us, keep us in chains by reminding you of lies. And the horrible part is we take those lies and we believe them and we live them out. And we think that's all that it will ever be. So sin, in a sense, can lull us to sleep spiritually. You think this is as good as it will ever be. I've told this story before. I remember there was a beer commercial. Yeah, I'm talking about a beer commercial in church. During the Super Bowl, like 20-something years ago, and it was a bunch of dudes like camping around a campfire, and they're sitting in there, and they're holding their, their cans, and the fire's crackling, and they're outside next to the water, you know? And one of them says, hey, it doesn't get any better than this. And I'm like, yes, it does. Yes, it does. It does get better than this. As cool as that is, I like camping. But the truth of Jesus should wake us up that uh, God calls us to be more than just to, be, to acquiesce and to, to realize that God doesn't want us to be in a cage with our sin. He can set us free, to free us from bondage in a sense. That the Spirit of God has always been a spirit of liberty, the spirit of liberty. He is continually setting people free. The Spirit of God does not accuse you. 
He does not come to put you in bondage. He's not come to remind you of your sin. He's not come to oppress you. He has not come to depress you. The Spirit of God may convict you with a loving heaviness, yes, but that's because he's holy. But God is always on the side of freedom and liberty. I mean, think of it this way. The same God who made birds didn't make bird cages, did he? No. Men make bird cages. God didn't come to set people and put people in a cage. It's God who wants to set people free to remind people that you have wings and that you were meant for more than just what you think, to rediscover those wings, that we were designed to be cageless birds. When we discover that God has given all liberty to the children of God. Just listen to some of these words of Scripture. Let them wash over you, these true, true words. 2 Timothy 1, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Galatians 5, 1, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's 2,000 years ago, but we're still the same, right? We know that Jesus sets me free. I know that he loves me. I know that he's forgiven me. But man, it's so, we get so deceived, and we, you just slowly get back into those places of thinking, God can't deal with this in my life. No, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. Romans 6, 18, you have been set free from sin and have become now slaves to righteousness. There's just continual messaging throughout the New Testament that all of these statements from God's words challenge false patterns of thought, that we can believe things about ourselves, others, family, friends, God even, and we, the Bible would call those strongholds, that these are things we believe and we think they're true, but they're not. They're false patterns of thought. And so when Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what he's saying is that belief starts in what we believe or don't believe about what's true or what's false, right? And it's why what we think becomes our beliefs, and our beliefs are what we do. So whatever you do shows what you believe, right? So but it all begins where? In the mind. It begins, that's where, the, that's the nexus point. It's the origin point. So that's why it's so important to hear the truths of God's word, to spend time studying, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in fellowship with other believers who could maybe speak truth into your life, right? And we marinate on those things, and we ground ourselves on those things. Um, but a stronghold, these are things that are false that we keep inside, and we think that they're true, but they're not. So, things like this. Maybe you've been through a divorce and you think you're tainted and, that's, uh, and that you'll never be loved again. All right? That's, a, I would say, a false pattern of thought. You think you're broken because you were abused as a child and that you're not good enough. That's a false pattern of thought. That's a stronghold. Your identity maybe is built upon what accusations that others have said against you or maybe that you've even told yourself and you start to believe them and you live them out. I've told this story before, but a few years ago, I was at a restaurant in Winston-Salem, and we were enjoying our meal, and the table near us was a young mother with her child in a high chair, 
and the little girl in the high chair was doing what sometimes kids do. They were shaking the thing and throwing food and, and being sort of, you know, like a kid would do and sometimes. And the mother is young, very young, and she, you can tell she's having a hard time, and she looks at the little girl and she just says, you're rotten, you know that? You're rotten. And my heart broke for this little girl because I realized she's hearing that on some level. Like she is, she's embracing that, and she thinks that's who she is and that she'll never ascend beyond that. You and I will never ascend beyond what we believe about God. You and I have got to ascend beyond this low level of expectations, that we think that you'll, you'll never be enough. You are enough before God, that all you can bring to him is all that you are. The money in, the, in our lives and our careers, all that, as important as it is, all that we can ultimately bring to him is our brokenness, and in the things that in which we have failed. And that's why he went to the cross, isn't it? That's why Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's because he knows that we're a broken people. That's why the gospel is good news, right? Because God is doing for us what we can't do for ourselves, which is forgive our own sin, which is live forever with God, which is have eternal life. We can't overcome death. This is why it's good news, right? But here's what happens. People tend to think, in order for God to love me, I got to clean myself up first. Before you go to the dentist, do you ever brush your teeth first? Yeah, and the dentist, I don't know, I don't know, I do, I do know some dentists. They're probably like, that didn't help much. It didn't. It didn't really make a difference. I look at mouths all day, and I have to deal with that. Or before you go to get your hair cut, you wash your hair? I don't want to, you know, that's probably a good idea, actually. Um, you know, oh, before I go to the beach, I better go to the tanning bed, Right? Right, just get a lighter, a little darker sh- shade of pale. That's 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 why I am. Before the maid comes, I, I'd better uh, clean up the house. I better vacuum a little bit before she comes over. Before people go to church, they think I better clean up my act first. Before I go in that sanctuary, I better put on a tie, and then God will love me more. Friends, that's not the case. The Lord looks at the heart not the externals. That's important. I'm, no, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll tuck in my shirt. We should wear, you know, look nice. That's fine. But, but God, God doesn't look at that. He sees your heart. If you wait until you're perfect, you'll never come to him. You'll never come because you and I aren't perfect. If, if you try to wait until you make yourself righteous, you're playing the role of God, and only he can do that. Only Jesus can heal you. And that's why the church of Jesus, any church, is the perfect place for imperfect people. Some people say the church is full of hypocrites, and the answer always is yes, and we have room for one more. (laughs) Doesn't condone hypocrisy. But within these radical, exclusive truth claims of Jesus that dispel the lies that show that he is the only way to the Father, that show he, he's the only atonement for our sin, that shows that he is the only way to heaven and life eternal and have life eternal, uh, eternal life here on earth within us on this day. Within those exclusive truth claims, very narrow, he says, is a radical and inclusive love for everyone. A radical and inclusive love. So whatever it is, These words are for you today. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that truth is most 
very most adequately expressed through the act of Holy Communion. As we come before the Lord's table, he chose to use very simple elements of bread and juice, bread and wine, to show that his very self is the truth. He's doing exactly what you would expect God to do. On the night of which he gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. As often as you take this meal, do this in remembrance of me. His active presence is with us in this holy act. And then he took the cup of the, of the, of the Passover meal, and he said, this is actually my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this blood of the new covenant in remembrance of me. And friends, in a moment, you'll be invited to come with open hands. A piece of bread will be placed in your hands. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ shed. And this is not Wesley Memorial's table. This is the table of the Lord for all people. We have gluten-free elements up here for those that need it. So please ask. You're also invited to come and pray at the prayer rail. And some of our Stephen ministers, these are church members, will anoint you with oil you wish anointing. So I'm going to pray for us, and then if those who are serving will please come forward. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come before you in this holy act, this continual reminder of your faithfulness, of your presence with your people, that you are not far from us, but that you're, you're always closer than close. Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine and make them be, for us, the body and blood of Christ. That you have come not to make good, bad people good, but dead people come alive. And we pray in the name of Jesus that we encounter you in this place, that you do your work in the hearts of your people that you love with an everlasting love. In Jesus' name, amen.